Can we pray for our pastor this morning? Would you extend a hand this way? Father, I thank you for the call and the anointing on our pastor, Father. I thank you, Jesus, that as he shares your word, that he does so in power and in love this morning. I thank you that every heart would be receptive to hear what you have to say, God, and I thank you that you just anoint him, Father, and allow him to flow in peace and in love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Why don't you give it up for Pastor Sierra? Didn't she do a good job? Awesome. Well, I'm glad to be back with you this week. And uh, hopefully you're 50% happy to see me. Um, I'm, I'm 50% happy to see some of you. But most of you, it's at least, it's at least like 75% happy um, that I get to see you today. And we're going to be continuing our talk on fresh wind and fresh, fresh fire. There's just something significant in this season um, that I feel the Lord doing. Uh, I don't have any idea what it is. Uh, but it's significant. And kind of the picture that I got during worship at this service was, um, you know, whenever, whenever a train is waiting on the track, how many of you know that it's there, but it's not doing what it's called to do? Like a train is, okay, you guys look way too confused. You know a train is supposed to move, right? Okay, good. You're like, oh, but the train's on the track. I know. Well, we might have just discovered part of your, your problem if we needed to explore that. So the train's on the track. And how many of you know that a train can move pretty quick? Yeah, and the train actually moves pretty quick, but there's a lot of force behind a train. Like, that's why you, like, never want to have your car on the train track if a train's coming, right? Because that's, like, that's a recipe for, for bad stuff. But as a train is moving, and even though it's fast and it moves with a lot of force, it takes time for it to pick up speed, Right? And the picture that I got in my heart during worship is that the Lord has us on this track. And as a church, we are on the track we're supposed to be at the time that we're supposed to be. But there's this momentum that I just see every week that we're picking up and that we're building. And even though it might seem like the wheels are barely starting to roll, how many of you know that once that train starts going, it's, it's no stopping? No stopping what God's doing in this season. So that's just a little glimpse that the Lord gave me that I wanted to share with you that uh, I feel like if you're, if you're on the train and you're thinking about getting off, you might get off now because we're going to be moving pretty quick here before it's all done. And I would encourage you not to, not to jump while it's moving too fast. Um, so we're going to keep, we're going to keep going. How many of you know that uh, it's good just to sit down and hang on when it comes to whatever God's doing in this, in this season? Some of you are concerned uh, by what I said, but um, don't worry, all will be well. I, I promise you, Pastor Dwayne is coming back, okay? So just, just bear with me for just a little bit here. Um, I want to talk to you today. My subtitle for today's message is When Love Comes to Town. When Love Comes to Town. Uh, you might remember uh, good old B.B. Uh, King and, and uh, Bono got together and did a song one time called When Love Comes to Town. And you're probably thinking to yourself, I thought you only listened to Christian music. Well, the cat's out of the bag. I don't. But B.B. Uh, King's is B.B. King's pretty spiritual, so I think that, that, uh, that still counts. And uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're wrestling with the rest of the message now because I admitted to you that I like B.B. Uh, King and, and you too. And I guess while we're on this confession thing, I'll tell you that sometimes when I stub my toe, I still say bad words too. So um, we can just get that all out there on, on the table. And, uh, and then hopefully we can, we can actually connect today. And level. Don't get me wrong, most of the time I stub my toe, it's tongues that comes out. <laughs> but there's every now and again, you just catch, it's always the little one, the little toe, in just that one spot, and it's like, oh, Lord, help me, you know, in that, in that moment. So uh, anyway, if that, uh, I just love from the get-go 
we've got to, one of the beautiful things about living in relationship with Jesus is that there's just this divine pleasure on your life to come against a religious spirit. And I love that. I'm all about freedom. My wife and I are about freedom. And you don't know how free you are in God until you experience relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that saying that it's right when I stub my toe and I say a bad word? No, that's terrible. I I shouldn't do that. I'm just willing to admit to you that I'm still under construction. How about you? Okay. And if I'm under construction, then, you know, it's definitely okay for you to be for you to be under construction. So I'm glad Sierra prayed for me because now I know when I stub my toe, it's just angels are gonna lift me up and cover my mouth at the same time. So it's gonna be great. All right, let's get to the message and stop talking about rock and roll and cussing, okay? So, <clears throat> all right, when love comes to town, when love comes to town, how many of you know that the towns and the cities in this country at this present moment could really use the visitation of God's love? I think that, that love comes down. Oh, my Lord. You know, I just thought Aaron, my friend Aaron's here today. I love Aaron so much. Aaron, you know what song I'm talking about, right? Okay. So I just thought about this. I had the word about the train, and that's when love comes to town. I'm going to jump that train. So it's prophetic. It's all working together here. I got so excited about that. The Lord's actually talking to me about something. Homework, listen to, and love comes to town. They're singing about Jesus, believe it or not. Okay, so uh, where was I going? Okay. Our co- okay, back to serious. Are you guys ready? Okay, let's try this again. <clears throat> Take two. How many of you know that our towns and cities in this country really need a visitation of God's love? Amen. Amen, that's good. That's good. That was better. Good job, everybody. And when I think about where we started this, uh, this talk last week on Pentecost Sunday... And we think about the infilling of the Holy Spirit with this fresh wind and this fresh fire from heaven. How many of you are just grateful for the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life? I'm so grateful to God for the ability to have communion with the Father through the promise of the Father who's the Holy Spirit. And that's a beautiful thing in our hearts and in our lives. And I think it's easy for us, especially in a, in a charismatic community, And I need to tell you from the get-go, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of following Jesus. I love Jesus. He saved me from myself, and, and I'm so grateful for what he's done in my life, and I'm not ashamed of following Jesus. But I'm also not ashamed of being a charismatic follower of Christ. I'm not ashamed of that. And there's a lot of different word pictures that people associate with a charismatic Christian. For me, it's just simple. I just, as a charismatic Christian, believe that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the stuff that Jesus did in the Gospels and the stuff that the followers of Jesus did in the book of Acts still happens today. And that God wants to use us in all, in all those things, in miracles, signs, and wonders to see the kingdom of God come with power. And I'm so grateful for the infilling of the Holy Spirit that makes that possible in our lives. I mean, I love being able to see uh, the dead raised. I love being able to see sick bodies healed. I love being able to, by the authority of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, cast demons out of people and, and to be able to see that, to see people in that kind of bondage and torment set free, that lights your fire, amen? That, that's exciting. It definitely is. But I think as a charismatic community, it's, it's easy for us to, to associate first and foremost the infilling of the Holy Spirit with these demonstrations of God's power 
and things like spiritual gifts. How many of you are so grateful for the ministry of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Uh, words, uh, tongues, uh, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, uh, gifts of healing, prophecy. All those things have been a major blessing in my life. And God has used me to bless other people through those giftings. And that's powerful and It's definitely made possible in a culture and a community that's filled with the fresh wind and the fresh fire of the Holy Spirit. But I'm here to tell you today that I'm a firm believer in this empowerment of the Holy Spirit being for something far greater than just a spiritual gift. I'm a firm believer that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is for something far larger than just seeing a a miracle move of God in a healing service or in a prophetic word or a word of knowledge. I'm grateful for those things, but I I firmly believe that the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the greatest thing that the Holy Spirit infills you with and gives you the ability to release to the world is the love of Father God. The Apostle Paul, how many of you look up to the Apostle Paul? Okay, um, now I probably need to qualify. Some of you are confused. I'm not talking about Paul as in Paul, John, George, and Ringo. Those are the Beatles. I'm talking about about the Apostle Paul that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, a follower of Jesus. And Paul has a lot to say about this spirit-filled, this spirit-led life. In fact, most of what we know in charismatic communities about living with fresh wind and fresh fire, living filled with the Holy Spirit, comes from the writings of Paul. One of the places that we go to to see some of his commentary and his teaching in regards to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what a community looks like that's following the things of the Spirit is a letter that he wrote to a church in Corinth. There's two letters he wrote to the church in Corinth because that's how messed up they were. He had to write two different letters to try to straighten them out. So if you're somebody that's heard God tell you the same thing twice, it's because he really loves you and you're really messed up, okay? So you need to just be okay with that this morning. But Paul pens a letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Corinth and he's pastoring them. He's teaching them what it actually means to follow Jesus and reminding them about the, 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 the core things of the faith that they don't need to stray from and l- encouraging them in what they're doing right, but then also encouraging them to fix the things that are happening that, that, that's wrong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, right in the middle of Paul in chapters 12 and 14, going into great detail to explain the charisma life of God that's possible in a community, he interrupts this explanation and this focus on gifts with this chapter that we know as the love chapter. And actually at the end of chapter 12, as he's going on this commentary, breaking down and explaining different types of giftings and what their purposes are and how we don't need to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Paul actually tells us that we need to covet or we need to desire the giftings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He puts this filter right in the middle of chapters 12 and 14 called chapter 13. And it's the filter that everything that's charisma empowered is supposed to flow through And that's the filter of the love of God. Because even those gifts and those Holy Spirit breathe abilities in our lives as followers of Jesus are for the sole purpose of better revealing the love of God to people in need of that love. So in chapter 13, Paul says this. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, I love that. I love the ESV translation because it says prophetic powers. 
of powers. Prophetic, I just love that. Prophetic powers. And I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I know the secret of the blood moons and the book of secrets and the charts and the times and the signs and all this kind of stuff. If I know all of that and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, to literally die as a martyr, but I don't do it from love, what you'd ask the bigger question is, it's possible to do really spiritual things and it not be birthed from the love of God? That's a bigger question. And if I give up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Everybody say nothing. Say, well then, what does it look like to actually have God's love? Because if God's love doesn't look like prophesying and disclosing secrets to people so that they can have better understanding and grow in the kingdom, if that's not fully what God's love looks like, if God's love doesn't look like sacrificing up my body to be burned, if God's love doesn't look like me being able to have all faith to remove mountains in the culture that are causing people to stumble and that are opposing God's people, if that's not fully what God's love looks like, then the question is, what does God's love look like? What does it look like whenever love comes to a town? And Paul would say that love, God's kind of love, is patient and kind. I submit to you today, beloved, that a more true sign of whether or not you're a disciple of Jesus are not the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. The world, at this point in time, could definitely benefit from people that are flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in that? I believe that our cities would be just so much better off if people were flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. But I don't know if you know this or not, but it's no gift of the Holy Spirit that is the transformative power at work in the universe. Actually, the transformative power at work in the universe is the love of God. God's love is the sole agent that can bring transformation to our cities, to our states, to our nation, and our world. God's love. And God's love looks a particular way. God's love looks like patient, patience and kindness in operation in our lives. God's love looks like not being envious or boastful, even when you believe that you're right. God's love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The greatest thing that the Holy Spirit empowers you to do as a follower of Jesus is to receive God's love and then now be a vessel in which that love flows to the world. That's the greatest thing being empowered by the Holy Spirit gives you the capacity to do. Romans chapter five, verse five in the English standard says this, and hope does not put us to shame 
Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. The Holy Spirit in filling a people firstly and chiefly deposits God's love into your heart, fills your life with God's love. And why that's important is this, is because you can only give what you have. How many of you believe that our cities in this country need a visitation of God's love? We need love to come to town. Being filled with fresh wind and fresh fire ultimately then is really about releasing to the world the love of God. Releasing to the world the love of God. There's a deep inner transformation that has to take place in all of us. And last Sunday I gave a encouragement about the time to move from being a convert to being a disciple is now. Now's the time to not just be a Christian in name, but a Christian in nature. And I would propose to you today that being a Christian in name, but not in nature is actually unfounded in the scripture. There is no such thing. To just be a Christian in name and not in nature. What causes a nature change on the inside of you. It's a new heart. The book of Proverbs is clear. It's that from the heart flow the things of life. Everything in your life is connected to what's going on in your heart. So why does the infilling of the Holy Spirit, why is the bullseye the target your heart and filling it with God's kind of love? Because once that changes, not only do you change, but the world around you begins to change. Before love can come to town, love has to reside in the walls and halls of your heart, only made possible through the Holy Spirit. How many of you believe that we need Christians today filled with the fresh wind and fresh fire of heaven? When Christians are filled with the fresh wind and the fresh fire of heaven, they act a particular way. And it's not spooky. They act a particular way, and it's not angry. They act a particular way, and it's not by protesting even though we're Protestant in name. <laughs> it's part of the problem. We just have continually kept protesting. That's why in our towns, there's 37 churches. <laughs> because we allow what divides us to define us. But beloved, that's not the way of love. I love the Apostle Paul. He's one of my favorites. I asked you earlier, how many of you look up to the Apostle Paul? How many of you think it would be cool to have the Apostle Paul like in your life like today? Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be so cool. Uh, how many of you would love to have like to be a part of a ministry team that the Apostle Paul was on? Wouldn't you love that? You're starting to act nervous. You think I'm trapping you? <laughs> I said you are. I am. Absolutely. Let me talk to you about what is it really? And that early church that unified them. Was it the miracles that, were going, that was going on? Was it the demonstration of power? No, if you actually go back and read the scriptures out of Acts that we read, Acts 2 through 4, well, you just go 1 through 4, it'll be good for you. You'll see that the byproduct of the miraculous was a life lived in love and unity. The miraculous was just a byproduct of that environment. It wasn't the focus or the chief aim of that environment. It said they had all things in common and they spent much time together. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have said, church, that would show the world that you're his disciple. He could have said, 
And this will be the way the world knows that you're my disciple is because you speak in tongues. It's because you have prophetic dreams every night. It's because you have a gift for communication or teaching. It's because you're a person of wisdom. It's because you lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. It's because you raise the dead. It's because you can call down fire from heaven. Jesus didn't say any of those things. The thing that he said was, and this will be the way that the world knows that you're my disciple because of the love that you have for one another. Christians struggle to love each other in the same family, but then we get up with all this vibrato and human emotion and sometimes Holy Spirit compaction, compassion and we talk about reaching out and loving the world. How tough is it to love the world when you don't even like each other? Our cities are in a place of division because the church allows division in. Our cities are in a place of inequality and and all these different kinds of things that work in our culture today because the salt and light of the earth is the church and there's so many things that work in our own hearts that we allow And we give the enemy place to work in our world. Love needs to come to town today. How many of you look up to the Apostle Paul? How many of you would love to be on a ministry team with the Apostle Paul? Yeah, it's awesome. So Paul writes in one of his letters, and he talks about a dispute that he had with Peter. This is great. You're going to love this. Peter was a pillar in the faith. And that's actually from Paul. He even kind of describes him that way. I was given the right hood and a fellowship by these supposed, those who were supposed pillars in the faith. <laughs> you just really need to read Paul and hear the tone of some of the things that he says. He said, they finally saw me kind of doing my own thing, thought I was kind of wacky. And then finally they judged the fruit and they said, yeah, this guy's with us. We'll give him the right hand of fellowship. And he says this, he goes on to say that Now, usually what you got to know about the letters of Paul, the letters that Paul would write to churches, those were given to a messenger and that messenger would go to that church and publicly read the letter. So that was the sermon that day, the letter, okay? So put this into into, uh, into your paradigm here, into into your current situation. Paul writes a letter to a church and he says, Peter and I, and Peter by the way the church is working at that day was way higher up on the food chain than Paul. Like Peter's one of the guys that was like with the Lord, right? So he's higher up on the the food chain, but he's given this right hand of fellowship to Paul. But there's something undergirding, there's something connecting these band of brothers in that time that was way bigger than the miracles that was going on. And this is why I know it's way bigger than the miracles going on because they could have legitimate falling out disagreements and not fall out of love with each other. Our culture doesn't understand that at all. To disagree with someone is to hate them. To just have an opposing position is to now be in opposition and oppression to them as a person. And the church doesn't do better a lot of the time. Peter writes in, or Paul writes in this letter and he says, I had this disagreement with Peter because he was essentially acting like a hypocrite. When he was with the Jews, he'd act like a Jew. And then whenever he was with the Gentiles, he'd act like a Gentile. That was the okay part. But the hypocrisy was whenever he was with the Gentiles and Jews would show up, he would sign a change and start acting Jewish. 
so as not to offend. And Peter saw a blind spot. Paul saw a blind spot. We've all got blind spots in our lives, things that we can't see but that other people do. And it's great, like how many of you know it's great to have a friend in private call out your blind spot and say, hey, I see some inconsistency in your life here. But the reason why you might struggle being on a ministry team with Paul is because Paul's like a tell-all kind of guy. He's an overshare. <laughs> so there's this letter to the church, and he says, and I opposed Peter, and I rebuked him to his face because he was acting this way. So let me put this in context. This is like me having a private conversation with Pastor Dwayne, us not seeing eye to eye, and me getting up now that he's gone and saying, Dwayne and I were talking about this the other day, and I said, Pastor, I don't agree with you, and I rebuked him to his face. <laughs> Would you still want me to be your preacher? <laughs> what was going on at that time? I can tell you what was going on at that time was the love of God. What connects people even when they disagree with each other? What lets people continue to labor for the same mission, the same call, the same intensity, even when they don't see eye to eye? It's whenever the love of God is ruling and reigning in your heart and in your life. Do you think Peter found out that this was said in one of the churches? Probably. And what was probably his take on it? Oh, that's Paul. And yeah, he did rebuke me to my face. And you know what? I was wrong. I'm so glad for a brother like Paul in my life. Well, what happened today? Well, I can tell you what would happen in a lot of our churches. Not, you know I'm talking about everybody else except us, right? Okay, just so you know. Okay, we're in. We're in. We're just talking about other people. That's what we're doing today. So st stay with me. You, we're good. I ain't, ain't nothing wrong here. We're perfect. But here's the thing that, uh, that you need to know. What would happen in a lot of our churches today in that same scenario? I can tell you what would happen in the churches today. Paul would be starting a 501c3 down the street and taking a third of the congregation because there's so much inconsistency in Peter's life. You guys really need to follow me. And Peter might have him out of the club. I'm trying to show you that there's a type of love that the church is called to that the world will never get building their own tower. It's never gonna happen, guys. Let me tell you just point blank here, talk to some things going on in the culture. I'm not uh, intimidated of it because it's nothing new. You understand that, right? Like human hearts are messed up without Jesus. People are like, you know, racism this and this and this. That's just a human evil. It's been around for forever. Do we have a way to go in, in, in our country and to see things break through and things get better? Absolutely we do. We're lying to ourselves if there's not things to work on, but I'd also like to say we need to celebrate how far we've come as a country also. Like, I'm just I'm not denying that there's still work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. It would be advantageous for the church of Jesus Christ to let the, the, the Lord keep working on you so you can be a part of the change. There's a type of love that we're called to that we'll only be able to express through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you just outright here, straight from the get-go. What's happening in our cities right now with our cities literally being on fire is heartbreaking. Anybody else heartbroken by what's happening in the world today? 
as a pastor speaking to a congregation, I feel like I need to be able to tell you from the pulpit that what happened to George Floyd is wrong. It's totally wrong. Nothing about that is right. Can I, can I be honest with you today? I need like one person just to tell me that I can be honest. Pastor Harvey, can I be honest today? Lee's not here. He's in a Hugo, so I'm going to ask you. You're going to fill in. Where's Pastor Tim? Pastor Tim, can I be honest today? It's not right what happened to George Floyd. I, I as a pastor, condemn that kind of evil in the world. I condemn it. Don't excuse it away. Don't try to explain it. I say it's wrong, totally wrong. And I stand in alignment with a brother in the faith. I was listening to a talk last night with Bishop T.D. Jakes, and I stand in line with that brother in the faith. And I say that it's also wrong for innocent business owners and innocent people to be looted, attacked, and burned to the ground. It's also wrong. What's wrong? I can tell you what's wrong. The whole system and situation is wrong. And do we have systemic issues in our world today? Absolutely. But systems are just put in place by people. And systems don't change until people's hearts change. And the only thing that changes the human heart last time I saw was the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the pouring out of the love of God into our hearts and into our lives. I love what I saw on Pentecost Sunday. I was so encouraged. I preached that message. That was a good message I preached last week. It was so good. I was so encouraged. I blessed myself. I went back and listened to it again just to, just to listen to it because it was so good. It was awesome. I loved it. And uh, I got, and I had to fight for that thing, man. That was a rough week of spiritual warfare. I've never experienced an attack on my mind like I did in preparing for that message ever, ever in my life. I've been like preaching since I was 17 years old and I've never experienced that kind of a, a thing in, in my mind, teaching the Bible, I should say, since I was 17. I turned into a preacher once I came here and got filled with the Holy Spirit. I wasn't a preacher before, but anyway, uh, that'll hit the rest of you later. But here's, here's the thing that uh, I want to talk to you about is that, uh, oh, Lord, I forgot what I was going to talk to you about. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, Pentecost Sunday, I finished this message. I finished this message, and I was so encouraged. I went home, and, and uh, I jumped on uh, Facebook. It's like, you know, I got this love-hate relationship with Facebook, just being honest, uh, like I have with, with, uh, with a lot of people. And... <laughs> This love-hate relationship, I love what it affords us as a ministry to be able to, because, you know, we have a captive audience. Have you seen how much people are on their phone? Like, literally, some of them are captive, guilty at times. Anybody else? Captive. We have a captive audience that we can deposit words of truth, words of hope. So I love that our church is leveraging that, that digital strategy and that technology that's available to us. It's beautiful. How many of you know that pen and parchment in Paul's day was, a, was, a, was technology? And people freak out because we're going to use digital and stuff. Anyway, I'm not going to offend you. Probably too late. But <clears throat> I got on my phone and I saw in Miami, a city I love, Miami Police Department when protesters came and the police decided to take a knee and to say, we're, we're just going to hurt with you right now. And this like mini revival took out of protesters and police hugging each other, weeping, praying for each other. 
I, I don't know fully what it looks like when love comes to town, but I, I think it looks kind of like that. And that I, I might not fully understand what you're saying or how you're saying it, but I'm willing to posture myself in a place of humility at least to hear and to listen. The church should be known for navigating difficult conversations in our day and age. The church should be known as the first people to lend a listening ear. It's scriptural. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Those are the marks of people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. Similar thing happened in Oklahoma City on the same day. And the Lord put in my heart, as soon as I saw it, I started crying when I saw the police officers and the protesters in Miami. Reconciliation, people hugging each other, people praying, not, not looting and rioting and screaming and hurting and burning and kicking, but there's a beautiful thing happened. And I don't know what it fully looks like when love comes to town, but, but something about that looked like it to me. Does that look like it to anybody else? Something like that looked like it to me. And I saw it and I just felt tears coming to my eyes and the Lord dropped in my heart. And the last days I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. All flesh. And my sons and daughters will prophesy. If you don't think that a police officer kneeling and then standing up to hug a protester and pray with them isn't a prophetic act of the kingdom of God, I don't think you know the kingdom of God. (laughs) A little hair there. It's gone now. Thanks for praying it away. What type of love is this that we're called to church? It's a type of love that's the same type of love that moved the heart of God to say, I so love the world that I will give my only begotten son, the one that's closest to my heart. Because when God wanted to show the world how much he loved the world, he gave of himself. People get all wrapped up, especially in our part of the world. Well, people need love, but they need the truth. I totally agree. It's the truth that sets people free. I totally agree. And my response to that would be, until the church operates in a kind of love that's costly, no one will see the truth clearly. Because it's whenever love that is released that is costly that people see the truth more clearly. It's whenever the God of the universe in human form hangs naked on a cross and dies. And he's willing to do that for people that hate him is now that the world has access to recognize the truth of who God is through the person of Jesus Christ. People say, well, you know, Jesus, he made a whip and he went into the temple and he threw over tables and he was probably cracking people in there too. Absolutely, he did it. I believe he did. I don't believe that's a, just thrown in there for dramatic effect. Jesus did that. You know that, right? Jesus made a whip and threw out the money changers. You, you know that Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Called them children of the devil. Do you believe that? The Bible told me so, so you should believe it. But here's the thing about it. People a lot of times will gravitate around those truth-telling moments of Jesus and not understand that God's truth and God's love cannot be separate. 
Why was that okay for Jesus to do? And why was that anger righteous? And why was that hard truth godly and anointed and inspired? It's because for those same people that he said were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones and those same money changers that he drove out through a whip and the same people that he said were children of the devil, he was willing to be humiliated and broken on a cross for. So until you are ready to show that kind of love to those types of people, you might moderate your truth that you want to say. Because those two things cannot be separated. I'm, gonna, I'm getting excited, Sherry. God's grace and truth were pleased to dwell in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we have beheld with our eyes, we have gazed upon the only beloved of the Father that was full of grace and truth. Does the world need truth in this hour? Does the world need hard truth in this hour? Absolutely, and it comes through a people that are willing to love hard as well. Because the only way for the truth to be seen clearly is through a love that costs dearly. Why was it okay for Jesus to expose that level of hypocrisy in a group of people? Why was it okay for him to fashion a whip and take up righteous anger in God's house? It's because he was not just full of hot air. He was filled with fresh wind and fresh fire. And he was able to say a hard thing and do a hard thing on the cross. I'm fine with Christians in this hour saying hard things. I'm kind of one of those Christians that's known for that. But I need to tell you that when you start talking away, you have to be ready to prove it with your life. I have no problem with people rising up in righteous anger and speaking words of rebuke to the culture just as long as you're willing, if God needed, for you to lay down your life for the person you disagree with. Say all you want. But we people need to know that they're in the wrong. They need to know that they're following the devil. Absolutely. Say it all you want. Just be prepared to be ready for your life to be cruciform. That's all I'm asking. When you're ready to do it the way he did, talk all you want. But until then, close your mouth. Because you know not what spirit you are of when you talk a particular way sometimes. And the church of Jesus needs to zip it and sit down and be filled with fresh wind and fresh fire so that not only can we say a hard truth, we can live a hard life. People don't change because you berate them with your opinion. People don't change because you disagree with them politically. People change when you're willing to allow the word of God to become incarnate in your life and to say, I rebuke Peter to his face and I'd be willing to be crucified upside down with him also. That's the love that needs to come to town. That's the love that changes things. See, the inner transformation that takes place in your heart and your life through God's kind of love results in you actually following the teachings of Jesus. I gave us a call last weekend about the time for moving from a convert to a disciple is now. The time for not just being a Christian in name, but becoming a Christian in nature is now. There's no such thing as a Christian just in name. It's about a nature change from the inside out. 
Jesus said in John 8, 31, to the people that believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. John 13, 35, by this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the best things for us to do right now when we all need to be sitting down and shutting up because we don't know what we're talking about half the time is we need to sit down and we need to open the book of Matthew and we need to read chapters five through seven. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you're really serious about seeing the political landscape of our country change, I'm talking for the people that are serious, that really feel like they have something to say. If you're really serious about seeing True, not the culture's perverted form, but genuine social justice done in our inner cities. If you're really passionate about that, you need to sit down and you need to read the politics of God. Because the politics of God are Matthews 5 through 7. They're actually not the platform of any one particular party. That's actually not. The politics of God is actually the way of the lamb, not the elephant or the donkey. He said, well, 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 how are we going to know how to vote? How are we going to know who to elect? If you're following Jesus, you will always know who to vote for. Yeah. It'll be so painfully obvious. It just makes sense to you. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> just like how to treat people will be obvious too. Because you're actually following Jesus, not your opinions, not your own junk. actually following the teachings of Jesus, you need to sit down and you need to open the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, is Jesus' inaugural address as king of the universe. It's the platform of the politics of God. He starts off by saying, blessed, and every charismatic says, highly favored in Jesus' name. But Jesus has this strange thing that he's saying about blessing and what it means to be blessed. You notice right from the get-go that there's a lot of things that you think that are wrong. Jesus says, blessed are the poor. What? See, let's just be honest. We don't really wrestle a lot of times with the things that Jesus says. Blessed are the meek. Meek people are not rude people. They're not boastful people. And they're not people that insist on their own way. They're meek. But in this culture, if you're meek, you'll get pushed over. You'll get pushed around. You'll become a doormat. I'm not saying that meekness is equivalent to all those kinds of things. But I'm saying that it would probably help us if we would actually wrestle with what Christ-like meekness actually meekness looks like. Right from the get-go, Jesus starts saying some pretty intense things. Right from the get-go, Jesus starts painting this picture of God's kingdom that is making people scratch their heads. And the people that are the most certain of what it is and what it isn't are the people that, per- that persecuted the Lord the most. We have to be willing to be taught by Jesus in this hour. We have to be willing to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit, who's the great teacher in this hour. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says some things that should make you have to wrestle with that truth that's spoken in love. Jesus says things like, if you're going to follow me, then you got to figure out how to love your enemies. But what we know in the culture, and unfortunately in a lot of the church, is something that I call fish love. You ever heard of fish love? 
I've talked to some of you about it before. I'll refresh your memory. Fish love is the feeling you get when you sit down and you're going to eat this nice big uh, filet of deep fried catfish. You know the catfish is like the hand-breaded cornmeal crust with the cracked pepper mixed in the, in the cornmeal. Are you guys following me here? I'm still talking spiritual. You're acting confused. And, and I sit down and, 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 and I'm going to fry up this catfish. And you got to have some greens to go. I don't care what kind of greens. It's just got to be a lot of pork fat in it. And there's got to be pepper sauce. And if you do that with like some black-eyed peas and some pinto beans, and uh, we can just add. That's the one thing about southern food. You can add as many sides as you want, and it's great. And it doesn't become two separate meals. It's still one meal. And you do all that, and you get some cornbread out of the, out of the oven, and you get you a glass of sweet tea. Anybody feeling the Lord while I'm talking today? Okay. And you sit down, and you, and you eat that, and you say, I love this. That's fish love. Fish love, this is a real deal. A rabbi taught me this on YouTube. The fish love, <laughs> I'm a millennial, okay? I know everything because of YouTube. <clears throat> fish love is what you say whenever you love something because it has a positive effect on you. Okay, church, God's love is not fish love. You don't feel the way you feel about a catfish dinner toward your enemy. We had a friend of mine come a few Wednesdays ago. I'm really bad with time. It could have been five years ago. I want to say it was only a couple months ago, but Steve Eden, a friend of ours, he came. He delivered a powerful message on a Wednesday, and uh, he was speaking, and he was talking about God's love. You can still find the message. It's somewhere on one of the apps, podcasts, whatever. Go look for it. And he was talking about how he was at a conference that was being hosted by another pastor. So it'd be like me saying, hey, I want to do a healing conference a couple nights in Durant, and I'm going to bring in some guest speakers, but I'm the one hosting the conference. Are you following me? So Steve was a speaker or attending one at that conference. And the pastor that was hosting the conference, he got up after a message that, that, that was delivered, and the message was so convicting in regards to God's love that he got up from his chair and took the microphone and said, I need to repent to my entire congregation. So that'd be like us hosting a conference and something so convicts me that I get up in the middle of the conference and how many of a conference, it's not just your people that's there, it's other people. And if I got up and said, I've got something I need to repent of to my congregation, how many of you would start hearing, we knew he was taking the money? (laughs) Obviously, because of the way I dress, look at me. I wore my Nikes today because I thought if I have to run, this is gonna be the message I have to run away after. So I was like, I can't do the dress shoe things. I got to go after I'm done preaching this. And you'll see why about what, with what I'm about to say. Just get ready. So <clears throat> there's sometimes I'm like, Lord, could I really just talk to everybody about, you know, how to make money and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, <clears throat> I haven't figured that out yet either. <laughs> but here's, here, here's the thing that pastor got up and he said, I need to repent to the entire congregation. And you know, some people, oh, we knew he was taking the money. He's sleeping with the secretary, whatever it might be. By the way, if you hear voices like that, that's called demons. You need to get better friends. And we can help you get in a life group and we'll help you get rid of the demons you talk to. Um, but here's the thing that happened is that the pastor says, I need to repent of something and everybody got quiet. And he said this, this message that this man of God just delivered is so powerful in regards to God's love that I've been convicted to, my, to the depths of my heart that I've allowed hate to come in my heart towards Nancy Pelosi. You guys had a strange response. 
The last service didn't say anything. People started laughing when I said that. Are you guys okay? I'm confused. Like, I don't know what you just heard me say. Let me say it again. So the pastor got up and said, I have to confess because I have let genuine hatred in my heart towards Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. Can I be honest with you? It's not okay to hate people even though you really disagree with them. We say, yeah, but there's things that God hates. Absolutely. There's things that God hates. But you have to understand that whenever you attempt a righteous anger or a righteous hatred, you have to filter it with God's kind of love. Because I would tell you that the wrath of God honestly, is just the love of God received incorrectly. That's why Jesus, see, Jesus isn't a hypocrite. Whatever he tells us to do, he does. Jesus doesn't preach and say, love your enemies, bless those that persecute you, and then he secretly hates his enemies and finds ways to be revengeful, to be vengeful and operate in revenge toward them. God's not duplicit like that. You understand? He says, if you do good to them, it'll be like putting hot coals on top of their head. Why? Because whenever you whenever someone is being evil toward you and you remain in a posture of love, it's actually torturous for that person because the spirit that's behind their action has nothing to partner with and it begins to lash out at the vessel that's being used and it torments them. Welcome to hell, a place where you can never turn off the unrelenting love of God even though you want to. Said a lot there. Only when love costs greatly is truth seen clearly. Do you believe there was a cost for that pastor to come up and to confess that to his congregation? To say, I'm gonna be done partnering with hate because hate doesn't just contaminate part of your heart, beloved. It contaminates your whole heart. It's like if I took a sippy cup that one of my little kids drinks out of, you know, one of the 13 that I have. But if I take a sippy cup... And I fill it full of Kool-Aid. And I just take just a, just a finger, just a, just a little piece of like my pinky nail size, just tiny little bit of rat poison. And I put it in the sippy cup and I shake it up and I give it to them. Is that cool? I mean, some of you, I need a better witness. <laughs> Dear Lord. Okay, not cool. Thank you. But it's just a little bit. Like I got way more Kool-Aid in there than that. The worst that could happen is they're going to get a little diarrhea. So let me give you some of my mom's wisdom. Can I share with you? My mom is one of the most saintly people that I know in my life. Genuine follower of Jesus. Awesome lady. Awesome lady. So let me, let me share with you some of my mom's wisdom that I got as a teenager. And we've got some of the youth in here. So this is for you, youth. Pastor Colden, thank you for being in here with us. My mom used to tell me this when she saw me doing, just starting to flirt with some negative behavior, some negative choices. Saw a little bit of it start to show up in my life. She sent me down, she'd tell me this, mijo, that means like, like son, like little son in Spanish, I'm little son. Even I'm big, I'm still little to my mom. <clears throat> mijo, let me tell you something. I see you listening to that kind of music. I see you watching it. I see you hanging out with these kind of people. But mom, it's just every now and then, I know that they're this, but I'm, you know, but I know that that's not good. I'm not doing it all the time. It's just a little bit. Just a little bit, mom. Lay off. Mijo, listen to me. Let me ask you a question. 
What, mom? Let's say I make some brownies. I'm like, oh, praise God. I love my mom's brownies, right? You probably don't know that about me, but I I like food. You probably didn't know that. And here's the thing. Um, She said, let me ask you a question. I make some brownies. Amen. And I make the batter. Okay. I just, I go to the yard and I get just a little bit of dog poop. (laughs) A little bit, so tiny. Tiny, mijo, I put it in there. (laughs) Bake it, give it to you. You going to eat it? Are you going to eat that? Eat those brownies? No, mom's got poop in it. And she did. <laughs> Church, you don't need to be hating people. Why? Because it contaminates your heart. If the first thing when you see certain people on television or you hear certain people talk is, let me, is not a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Like, I, I've cast quite a few demons out of people, and I can tell you, is usually a part of it. If the first action in your body is blood pressure rises, face red, and might not be the same spirit that we've been talking about earlier. How many of you know we need a work of God's love to transform the inside of us so that when certain people that we disagree with and that we don't like come on our screens, come in our life, do things in our towns, the first thing out of our mouth is, Lord, I pray that they meet you. I pray that the way that you've taken me at my worst and transformed me, that the same thing will be done in their life. And if there's a way that you need a labor for that harvest, God, give me the grace to be able to be part of the change. If there's people and things and situations in your life that are causing you to respond in such a way that's anything other than when love comes to town, then I worry if love will ever come. I'm going to end with a story. Got five minutes left. 1996, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I'll tell you a story about a young lady, 18-year-old lady at this time named Keisha Thomas. I don't know for sure what love comes to town, what it looks like when love com- comes to town, but I think I've seen glimpses of it before. I think I've seen glimpses in what happened last Sunday in Miami and in Oklahoma City between police officers and protesters. And I feel like I've seen a glimpse of it in the story of this young lady's life. In Ann Arbor, Michigan, in 1996, there was a rally of a group of people known as the Ku Klux Klux Klan. They rallied in 1996 in Ann Arbor. And it was a strange place to, uh, to rally in Ann Arbor because it was a very, uh, it was a very diverse community. And it, and, it was, and, it was, and it was a budding contemporary place at that time. It's very strange that the, that the KKK would pick Ann Arbor to gather. And because of what that organization symbolizes, which as a Christian I completely and totally condemn what that group of people symbolize and what they stand for, condemn it. It's not a part of the kingdom of God. They gathered in this town, and uh, Keisha Thomas was a part of a group of anti-protesters 
that had come just to stand and be a voice against what the Klansmen stood for. And what happened is, is that in their peaceful protesting, one, a man, a middle-aged man, walked close to where the protesters were, and he had on a, uh, confe- a Confederate flag T-shirt and an SS tattoo on his arm, uh, Nazi tattoo on his arm. And the group of people that Keisha Thomas was with decided that they, that they, they were just overcome with this emotion of having someone that represented that kind of evil so close, and they decided that they were just going to kind of run him back to where the other group was. So they all started following behind him, and then the following picked up to running. And what happened is, is that the white supremacist fell on the ground. He tripped. And as he tripped, the group of protesters that were with Keisha Thomas began to kick him and began to hit him and began to hit him with the signs and the, and the sticks and the things that we had. And Keisha's response is what I believe it looks like whenever love comes to town. Keisha did this. In a moment of total self-sacrificing love, she threw herself on top of the white supremacist. 18 years old. Keisha Thomas was a Christian. And when they asked her about why she did what she did later, she said, it felt like two angels had picked me up by the arms and had laid me down on top of them. And she began to scream and cry out, stop, stop, this isn't the way. She said, no human being deserves to be beat and mocked and ridiculed because they see differently than me. If you ever wonder what being filled with fresh wind and fresh fire looks like, I, I don't know fully, but I've seen glimpses of it in my life and I've seen it last Sunday with some of the protest and police relationship in some of our major cities and I've seen it in Keisha Thomas. Whenever love costs greatly, what does this kind of love cost? costs a lot. What happens to Keisha whenever she goes back to the group that's anti? And it looks like she's loving somebody that they're here to hate. See, for Keisha, though, the the anti-protest was not about hate of a person. It's about hatred of a mindset that controls people. And Keisha puts herself in harm's way and potentially could have absorbed some of the blows. When people get together in mob behavior, riot behavior, they don't think right. They don't see straight. A couple of years later, Keisha was in line at a coffee shop and a gentleman approached her sometime after this. And he said, I want to thank you, Miss Thomas. And she said, thank me for what? The man that you laid down on was my father. And I just wanted to tell you, thank you. When they asked Keisha, why would, you, why would you do this? Paraphrasing, her response was just something along the lines of, well, that's what people are supposed to do. We need love to come to town in Durant, Oklahoma. We need love to come to town in Minneapolis. We need love to come to town in Dallas, Texas. 
when he'd love to come to town in Los Angeles, in New York. And if love doesn't come to town whenever the church is in town, we have a problem. Stand up if you're ready to be filled with fresh wind and fresh fire. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Master the ministry teams to come. If you're here today and you know that there's things that have unintentionally contaminated your heart, Eugene Peterson, translator of the Message Bible, was asked in an interview shortly before he died. He died in 2018. He pastored in Baltimore during the time of the 1968 race riots after the death of Martin Luther King. And they asked Pastor Peterson, they said, what was it like to pastor in Baltimore during that time? And he said these words. He said, everybody was so worried about what was happening in the city. I was most worried about what was happening inside the people. You need to put a hand on your heart today if you've been more worried about what's happening in our cities instead of what's happening inside of the people. You need to put a hand on your heart today in an honest act of confession if you've allowed something into your heart that has unintentionally contaminated the love of God. You need an honest hand on your heart today if you just want to grow in what it means to love the Jesus way. In an honest hand on an honest heart this morning, if you know that in some area of your life you need to be filled with fresh wind and fresh fire, you need the love of God to be stirred up in your heart so that love can come to your town. Father, you see every honest hand on every honest heart today. I don't know what the answer is, Lord, to a world in division at the level of policy, legislation, social justice, but I know the cure for the human condition of hate and violence and division is in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And here is your people today. We say, fill us afresh and anew with your wind and your fire. Allow our hearts to expand with your love. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your hands of love upon the hard wood of the cross so that all might come within the reach of your saving embrace. Clothe us, Victory Life Church, in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and the love of you. Lord, we thank you for blessing us and keeping us. Thank you for making your face to shine upon us and being gracious to us. Thank you for lifting your countenance upon us and giving us peace, shalom, wholeness, completeness through the power of your Holy Spirit and the inner workings of your great love. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's children said, amen. Amen. Why don't you give the Lord Jesus praise this morning? We magnify you, God.